You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 230 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by HandsOnGloves.com, the all-in-one, revolutionary bathing, grooming gloves. And Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we have part two, all about the equestrian sport of working equitation. You remember last time we got started on that, and there's lots more to learn today. And while we're talking about the roots and history of a discipline, we pulled up an interview from episode 57 about team penning to learn from a few who were actually there at the beginning. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer next to me, Jen. How are you today? I'm doing great. Rainy season has returned to Florida. Oh, I forget you guys have rain. (laughs) Has it stopped raining in California yet? It finally did, yes. And now we're fighting. Like, I know what happens when it rains. Things grow. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) We have things like thistles, what weeds oh and gosh. everything. Yeah, no, everything's really green and beautiful. Though I have to say, it's just velvet around here on the hills, and the cattle are happy. Everybody's happy. The horses Yay. are happy. Our and wells you're happy, are happy because you guys just had a working equitation event at Flagstaff so Farm, fun. didn't you? Tell so me about it. Fun. Yeah. Thanks for asking. That was really fun. Um, we did. So going into that, you know, I um, the reason that we had this interview is because I wanted to learn more about it before the show showed up, and we'd had a couple of little oh, schooling schooling clinics here, but I didn't really know uh, what was going on. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But it was so much fun because we have this facility, Jen, that. I didn't realize was so perfect for working equitation. We have a covered arena and that's where the dressage started at eight in the morning. And um, I should do some shout outs to some wonderful people. I mean, Nicole Chastain is definitely the uh, inspiration, but, but there was a Julie from Oregon who came down to judge. There was judges that were brought in. They stayed in our bunkhouse, bless their souls. And, um, we had um, people from the reining community, reining, Western reining horses, uh, working cow horses, and they came in for working equitation. We had the most fancy dressage. Um, even there was a garrocha pole involved in this. So, so there was some of that Portuguese dressage looking, you know, from Portugal. Uh, Iberian horses, little quarter horses, a beautiful Mustang. If anybody goes to my Facebook page, I put up a bunch of photos there and then they'll lead to other photos too. But these horses were absolutely decked out. And part of the thing, you'll hear this in the interview, but part of the thing is you have to be matchy-matchy. There's no like, um, you know, hybrid kind of costuming here. (laughs) You're not up on top English, bottom Western or any of that. It has to be completely consistent with the roots and, you know, appropriate dressage. So so if you have a dressage saddle, you'd Mm -hmm. best better have a dressage approved bridle and attire on your person that is appropriate for a dressage show. And a Good helmet. That's and, a, right. and a helmet. Everybody's yeah. got to wear one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you had you true. had people in English and Western tack. Obviously. Um, yeah. So, and after the covered arena dressage uh, tests 
that were in there. And it was super quiet and super dressage, you know, and fancy. And it was beautiful. But here's this little Western Mustang horse doing all the fancy moves. Then we moved to the outdoor arena, which we had this. Anybody who's been here, come visit too. Come to the movement. Um, anybody who's been here knows we have this huge outdoor arena. And the the cool thing, and I never even thought about it, is you can really spread these obstacles out. So the next part are the obstacles. And this is where you can really see the different levels, at least to me and layman watching this. You can see the different levels of work from training wheels and a coach able to call out the next you know, obstacle and, and help the person through that's maybe going through their first show. And it's really cool and everybody's positive and cheers everybody on there's music on the speed at the end that you know everybody gets into and claps and it, it's just a lot of fun but at the highest level and the timed ones i can't believe these little horses legs getting around these obstacles they know exactly what to do they're just harmony would be the word that i would put on the top top ones that were here too it's really fun it's, it's fascinating to watch the only high level i've ever seen of working equitation is on youtube Mm-hmm. And it's just like any discipline, any discipline of riding, of equestrianism at mm-hmm. the highest level is just jaw dropping. Ah, jaw dropping. Absolutely. That's the way it is. That's and then you have to work your way back down to the very beginning level for people like me who, okay, my horse is going to get close to the cardboard cutout of a cow. <laughs> <laughs> on a good day. <laughs> He's going to put one foot on the pedestal. Yay, us! That yes. is, that's satisfying in such a different way. That's satisfying to the competitor and the competitor's loved yeah. ones and friends and things like that Absolutely. versus the one that's satisfying to somebody who's never seen it before. Sounds like you had a wonderful variety. How, about how good. many competitors did you end up with? I think we had about 20 horses hey, that that's were pretty involved. Good. Yeah, I don't, we can't get too many more on that because we don't have enough, you know, just good old stalls set up for people coming and going just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. overnight stalls. So uh, the rest of them are boarders and they're in there. So, but there were a lot of boarders that participated, which brave of them, a lot of them were brand new beginners, but they were game and all cheering each other on. It was really fun, really fun. And then the people who were, had never been on the farm before, because we don't, ha- we hadn't had a lot of these. Now we want to have more. Um, we're just so impressed with our mountain trail. You know, there's just a lot of places to go around here, too, to warm up your horse and, and do things on. So There's a really lot fun. of really fun nooks and crannies at your yeah. place. Yeah, lots to do. And I think that surprised people because they were, I guess they were ready for just a thoroughbred racing operation, you know. And it, we, have, uh, we have evolved, Jen. We are yes, much, much more active than that. And, um, and I was really excited to see... So many horses shedding out. It was wonderful. <laughs> you know, we're at that we're at that stage because we had pretty cold winter for us and a pretty rainy winter for sure. And so everybody was glad. This was actually delayed a month, a month and a half, something like that, so that we had good good weather and and uh, and good looking horses <laughs> for it too. <laughs> but everybody was in their finery. It was just it was wonderful to see. All smiles. Yay! Yay! Yeah. Well, speaking of. Working equitation. Yes. Right after we hear from our title sponsor, Hands On Gloves, we're going to hear the second half of Nicole Chastain's interview where she talks all about how the sport got started, what it's like to compete, her point of view as a judge, what kinds of horses love it and don't love it. So we're going to get to that right after Hands On Gloves. Well, I'm sitting here today with Jay Michelson of 
hands-on gloves. And I, we were talking today about the horse that has sensitive skin or the animal that has sensitive skin, Jay. And I, I wanted you to help me address that a little bit. I know you've got some features to your products, but I know you know more about it than I do. So what do you do? What do you say to the, the owner that has somebody with sensitive skin? Our gloves are made from surgical grade nitrile. So that makes them chemical resistant, mildew resistant, because you can bathe with them too. They're made to get wet. Um, but across the board, there's no latex in them. So it's great for any animal, any people that have latex issues. There's no latex in it. They're just your hands. And if you have a thin skin horse or dog, they're, they're cats, other animals. There are many animals that don't like to be touched in certain areas. But having the gloves on, it's just your hands. You get immediate feedback if you get to an area of that animal that is sensitive. And you can apply less pressure in those areas, and you can apply more pressure in the other areas. Um, We have professional grooms that work from us. Um, They groom for Olympians across the board, and these guys are phenomenal. And they did a study on mainly thoroughbreds, thin-skinned thoroughbreds, Mm -hmm. and they found out that most people are grooming too light. Oh, (laughs) interesting. They're tickling the the horses and went in and applied just a little more pressure, and the horses loved it. Uh And that's kind of some of our experience with it. We we have all kinds of animals and experience with that. I think you can throw these in the wash machine. Am I right? You can. Next time you bathe your animals with them, use the gloves. A little bit of soap suds up all the way. And what we do after we bathe our animals with them, we rinse them off, hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Um, You can throw them in the washing machine. Um, Just don't put them in the dryer. And um, just throw them in the washing machine hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Well, Jay, how do people find out about you? Handsongloves.com. Nicole Chastain Price has achieved USDF bronze, silver, and gold medals and a USDF L graduate with distinction. Today, Nicole chats with us about the fast-growing discipline of working equitation and offers some interesting insights from a judge's point of view. Okay, so we were talking about um, you know what's needed to grow the sport, or or talking about all the rules and the obstacles and stuff. And I think the most important resource is is the trainers because they're the ones that are out there to disseminate the information. And some of these local clubs, you know, that are starting in areas, um, we have a lot of resources on the website for people to learn. And what we've encouraged to do people to do to help grow it in their areas to get local trainers involved, teach them about the sport, kind of light the fire, and then do clinics and promote that way. And I think, um, I mean, I think this sport is really growing. I don't think there's necessarily really anything holding it back other than, um, you know, just to keep putting the word out about it. Um, We do have, it's just started and it's in development. There is a recognized coach program for the USAWE. Um, I would say a lot of our trainers and, and judges haven't participated in it yet just because we're all busy doing other things. I mean, for example, I'm an S judge, um, in working equitation. So that's called a senior judge. We have four senior judges in the United States. And then we have large R judges, which is the step below smaller judges. And then we have L graduates that are learner judges. And they're allowed to judge schooling shows. And then the R, the small R, the large R, and the S judges are allowed to judge rated shows. There's different requirements. But um, I think, you know, 
there's always different hats people wear. You know, a really good judge is not necessarily a good trainer. A really good trainer isn't necessarily a really good judge. A really good writer is not necessarily a really good trainer. Sure. So, you know, it's it's developing people within the sport for their skill set and then getting them involved sure. with where they are. Um, I mean, myself, I came into this as a trainer and um, became a judge because it was a path I was taking through dressage and Western dressage with USCF. And it was just sort of a natural progression for me to follow that path into working equitation. Um, and I and I really enjoy and, judging. And you you love Lusitanos too, and, and the I, Iberian horses. And I love the Iberian horses, and I like I love Lusitanos. So um, yeah, I mean that's how I was brought into the sport was through working with um, some gentlemen that were really instrumental at developing the sport in the beginning, who were also very in- involved with the Lusitano breed. So I was involved with the sport really back from when it was not even called working equitation, mm-hmm. and just stayed with it and followed it, and then. Um, you know, bought my Lusitano in 2011 as a two-year-old with the idea of doing this with him. And then since then, I've pretty much just been developing him as a dressage horse. But my goal was always to bring him back later after he's yeah. um, been more of an accomplished FBI horse and do the working act. But I've myself have competed on like 17 different breeds at this point. Wow. Um, I'm sorry, 17 different horses and I think nine different breeds. Um, so it's been really interesting you know, mm-hmm. just to be involved in the sport and watch it develop is, that way. Is it an expensive sport to get into? Um, you know, I would say no because there's so many different disciplines attacking a tire that's allowed. Um, you can uh, come in it with your Western horse, and we've just developed some guidelines for what our, our recognized tack and attire is. Um, so we we recognize like working Western, we recognize dressage, we work in, we recognize the traditions from other countries, which is you know really we don't have a rule that says you you can't ride in whatever tack and attire you want, but it has to be matching. And it's really more appropriate if you, you know, if you have a Spanish horse or you're from Spain, that's really where it's more appropriate to use that tack and attire. But, you know, if you come in on your quarter horse and you want to ride in Spanish tack and attire, there isn't a rule that says you can't do that. It's just we're trying to honor the traditions and we're trying to honor our traditions in America. Mm -hmm. And it was a big discussion for a long time. What are we going to do as our national tradition in order to go compete internationally? That was a huge thing. And we've sort of come to an agreement on that. And that's going to be launching pretty soon. And we have an international task force that's coming that will be talking about what what happens. Last year was the first time we had an American go to the world finals. He went self-sponsored. Um, but it was really exciting, you know, because we had just become a Huawei country. Um, the world championships happen every four years. So we are trying to work towards developing a team in the future for that. Great. Um, but going back to the obstacles and, and sort of what that phase entails, um, all of the, like I said, all the recognized obstacles are, are published. And when you go to a horse show, you don't know what obstacles are going to be used until you get there. Okay. Your, your, um, score, your, map for the course is given to you usually 24 hours ahead of time and you can look at it but you can also walk the course first so the dressage tests change um our committee just wrote new dressage tests this last year and they hadn't been changed in i think five or six years so they change every five years or so so you pretty much have time to memorize your dressage Mm -hmm. test the courses are different at every competition Mm -hmm. so you go you have a time to walk the course you go you're allowed to go with your trainer and you can walk the course to figure out your course lines and talk you know amongst yourselves to remember like these are the rules and the judge and the technical delegate are always available on course to answer questions. Mm -hmm. So that happens at every show. So you do get to walk your course and study your map. And then the speed phase, 
which is the you, third You can't phase. walk it with your horse, though. You can't walk yeah. with your horse. <laughs> and you're never allowed to school the horse courses with your horse. So that yeah. that is a little bit of a challenge. And I think that's where schooling shows and clinics mm-hmm. really come into play because your horses need to get familiar yeah. with the different obstacles and become confident. Um because when you go to a venue where you have a show, you're not going to probably be able to... Sometimes they'll have some of the obstacles set up the day before, but they won't be usually decorated. They won't be in the order of what they're going to be. It'll look um, different. It'll look different. Yeah. So, for example, we're hosting a show, a rated show, the 22nd and 23rd here at your yep. facility. Yeah, I wanted you to so mention grateful that. for. Um, and everyone thinks, oh, you guys will have the home court advantage because they're your obstacles. Well... Let me tell you, first of all, they won't be set up in the order that they're going to be set up until the night before the show, and they will be completely decorated with flowers and plants and all kinds of things that my horses that live here haven't seen. Haven't seen. So <laughs> they actually, I think, almost are worse because the horses, like, like, they're it wasn't like there this yesterday. was not ever here, <laughs> and I've done that bridge, and it never looked like that. Right. So. It isn't necessarily home corner advantage. But then when you go to the speed phase, it's the same thing. You have a course walk. Mm-hmm. So you're allowed that the course changes. You, you also get that course in the morning, but it will be a different course. Usually the same obstacles. Usually we try not to move them around too much because it's so much labor, but we change the order and we tighten up the turns. And okay. some of the obstacles, for example, we don't use the jug and the speed and we change the gate to a rope gate, whereas in the ease of handling, it's, it's a regular, you know, solid so gate. gate yeah. um, so that's a little bit different because we're in the pen. You know, you only go one direction. We're just, we're trying to make it within the spirit of the sport. We're like, you go and you come back. You go and you come back. Um, and then the fourth phase, I'll just touch on briefly, is the cattle phase, which is never a mandatory phase at this point, but it is um, offered at different shows and you can sign up to do it. Um, it is a really fun, fun phase and it really shows you where the other phases with, um, you know, your, your relationship with your horse and having your horse on your aids really and confident mm-hmm. and really showcase what a working horse is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So there's cattle. They're numbered. They sit in an arena. There's a line across that is either with markers or a chalk line. You have a team of, of three to four people. Yeah. Um, I believe it's, um, it's changed a couple times, but, um, you know, if it's going to be rated and counted for, um, the show points, it's four people. And you, the way that you set it up is that you have a team and that's either drawn up or you come with your own teams. Okay. It's usually just because of participation right now. It's usually draw teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, um, you come in the arena, you've got your cattle, you've got a line, you have a pen that's sitting on the other side of the arena and it has a, um, it, you know, different configurations of where it can be. It sort of depends on the arena, the size and the management, but it's basically a three-sided pen and you have three minutes and one person, whoever's turn it is, has to go in. They're assigned a cattle number, get their cow out. Like if they're number four, they have to go in and get the number four cow out, take it across the line, put it in the pen. Your teammates cannot cross the line to help you. They can have to, it's kind of like line sorting for people that yeah. are familiar with that. Yeah. And it's kind of a combination of, of line sorting and team penning. Because once you get your cow across the line, your teammates can help you put it in the pen. And it doesn't matter who puts it in the pen. And then your hand goes up, your time stops, three minutes. So there's penalties if one of your riders on your team crosses the line to help you, there's time penalty. If a bad cow or a dirty cow crosses the line, <laughs> there's a time penalty. But the way we run it in the United States is that um, – you know, you continue going till your three minutes runs out. You may have so many penalties that you end up with a negative time and you may not get your cow. Yeah. Um, but we try to allow people to have that three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, you know, hopefully you're, you know, 
I'm at two minutes and six seconds and I got my cow. And that's rider number one on the team. And then that team goes out and another team comes in and that rider takes their turn. And usually you cycle it back until each person on the team has gone. Um, I judged our zone finals and the way they ran it because of time constraints was the whole team took their turn and then went out and a different team came in. So there is, you know, sometimes for show management, a little leeway. But in the international sport, that's that's how it happens. Do um, they ever use sheep? I wish they used sheep. <laughs> That'd be a little easier to move. Um, in America, you know, this is really our game. Mm-hmm. We know how to do this. And um, we have competitions, different, you know, we have the Ranch Sorting National Championships. We have the USTPA. Um, this is a long tradition in our country of sorting and penning and cattle work in general. The, the rain cow horse people, the cutters, you know, we know how to work cattle in America. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, one of our strongest suits in terms of sending people to the world mm-hmm. finals. But it's attracting a really versatile Western horse that can also do the other phases. Mm-hmm. And and they can do and have done, and I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of... Um, you know, when you when you watch the cattle phase in the world, they're using really big cattle. It's a really different sort of cattle than we're used to in the, the United Brahma States. Brahma-like or um, they're they're like almost I would say more like dairy cattle. You know, like big big. Yeah, I have seen some Brahma like the long years mm-hmm. too. Um, in in America, you know, we're using quicker, littler yeah. cattle, so it's interesting to see. Um, yeah. But and they're also. You know, in the world, there are some countries that aren't allowed because of animal rights conditions in their own country that aren't allowed to participate in the cattle phase, which I find really interesting. Um, It is, you know, it is based on time, but we really honor correct cattle handling. And when we teach the clinics, we try to teach slow is fast and position on cattle, Mm -hmm. position of your horse, um, using your, your basics of training to get it done, for example, I judged the uh, one of the Australian group's national championships in 20, gosh, was it 2019? I think it was 2019, 2018 or 2019. And the team that um, won in the cattle phase was a dressage team. Ah. Of are. ladies, yeah. but their horses were so on their aids. I, I for sure thought it was going to be, you know, the Australian stock horse. Yeah, they were actually a lot of them on Australian stock horses, but they were under dressage, they were dressage riders, mm-hmm. and they won it because their horses were like on it and they know how to play the game, mm-hmm. and and they were really great. Um, so it's really it's it's just a super super fun sport with those four phases, and at the end of the day, it's your average and and how you placed in all four phases. Mm-hmm. The cattle trial is separated out, so if you go to a show and you you participate in the cattle trial. It doesn't count for your show's overall standings. They place that separately just mm-hmm. because, again, not everyone does it. Mm-hmm. But in um, in America, in our normal shows, when you have your three phases, you get placed in each phase, and then overall, that's how you take your winner. So you can have someone win the dressage phase and DQ on the ease of handling yeah. and be second the speed. And no one that DQs can finish above someone that finished all phases. So it's really kind of like, it's a little like a venting sort of in the sense that it's not over till it's over. And you have horses that have really strong strengths. And um, obviously coming at to this from, I have a Western background, but I I primarily have been a dressage trainer. You know, I'm 51 my whole life. I've been doing dressage horses. Mm -hmm. So I come at it with a dressage um, background. And when I first started the sport, I took two horses that had come in through my husband's program. My husband does, um, Brad Price. Brad Price. He does, um, he was a cutting horse trainer 
and then um, got really into sorting and, and just starting horses and putting really good foundations on them. And and he's actually shown some Western dressage and he's actually so, shown some working equitation, which has been really fun um, for him. But I actually took two horses that had come in through his program and turned them, their Western horses, turned them into working equ horses. And those those horses were some of the first horses. The first horses I showed, I showed in Western Tack. I had a Morgan and two quarter horses and they did really well. And then I thought, okay, well, I really want to try this with the dressage horses. But, you know, I didn't want to take the horses that were really the fancy dressage horses because, you know, they just didn't really have a background in this. So I took some of the horses that I had in my program that weren't necessarily going to be you know, in California showing as an open rider and some of the big dressage shows, you know, you, you really have to have um, some really nice horses yeah. to be competitive at this point in, in our sport, just to, to be frank, you know. Mm-hmm. I still think dressage is great for all breeds, and I, I do it on all breeds, and I encourage it. But, you know, as an open rider being judged out in California in some of these big shows, you know, you, you have to have something that moves fairly well to be scoring what you need to be scoring to be placing. So mm-hmm. I took some of the horses that came into my training program that had come with, you know, no owner expectations. They just wanted them to be in my program. I have a very holistic sort of well-rounded horse program. And, um, and they just, you know, wanted to, to do that with their horses. They didn't necessarily want to show, but they wanted their horses to have some kind of an education. So, mm-hmm. you know, I picked, I had an Andalusian, I had a off the track thoroughbred, I had a Frisian Dutch warm blood cross, I had a pure red Arabian, wow. um, yeah. from the Varian bred Arabian programs, mm-hmm. um, a Morgan, um, some quarter horses. And, you know, it was just, it was a really, uh, it's a Noah's Ark. It, it was, <laughs> yeah, a lot of different ones. And yeah. I found that they all really excelled in the sport for different reasons. You know, it all played to different strengths that they had. And my point in this was that when I, when I went to compete these horses in 2019, we had a, it was called a North American Championships because at that time we had a couple different organizations still and we couldn't really have a national championship, but we, we had what was called the North American Championship. We had people from Canada and Australia. Yeah, you know, that were allowed to come and um, some did, some didn't. But anyway, we, we kind of got around from, actually, I'm sorry, the Australians weren't allowed because it was North American. Um, oh, right. But I, I will touch on that. We've, we've had some what's called cross-national cups, cups where the Canadians and Australians and Americans all play together. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had those in Canada, U.S., and Australia. So oh, we've fun. made really good friends with those countries because they've kind of struggled with the same challenges that we have, which is really big countries with a lot of different right. cultural traditions right. and histories. So um, we've all kind of, we've kind of grown Grown up together and helping each other with our national books, yeah. our national rule books. But anyway, going back to the speed, when we had our, our 2019 finals, just speaking from my own personal experience, um, I had the a quarter horse in Arabian, the Frisian Dutch Warmblood Paint Cross, and the Purebred Andalusian at the championships. I had Beautiful. all four of them yeah. qualify. Um, the little quarter horse was mine, and it's one that I got from my husband's program that was completely cutting bread. He's a, um, a highbrow cat. Um, at line horse, his mm-hmm. sire is Atticat, and his dam was the Pacific Coast um, Futurity winners, the cutters. I mean, purely cutting horse mm-hmm. bread. Yeah, and I ended up pulling him after the dressage phase because he just he he had just I had just taken him barefoot and he just felt a little knot himself, not really sore. He passed the jog, but just a little funny. But as a horse a horsewoman, I always want to honor my horses. So even though he was my horse and I worked really hard to get yeah. him there, I pulled him up the dressage phase, and he's the one that really expels excels in the speed mm-hmm. because you can go really fast with him yeah, because. He's got low to the ground hawks mm-hmm. and a big butt, and it doesn't upset him either. He mm-hmm. can really go and come back, and he doesn't get hot. Yeah. He's like, "We're doing this," you know. So that was kind of a bummer because he's 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 really a cute little working act horse. But when I went to do the other horses, I was tied 
in two levels in first place going into the speed mm-hmm. because like I had one dressage on one and one ease of handling on the other and some the other two had opposite and the other two horses I was competing with were actual Mustangs that wow. had were ridden in western tack with really good trainers that had done beautiful jobs with these horses they're lovely that's awesome lovely horses and even though I had horses that I thought were lovely and had done well in dressage like to the 70 percent range in their levels um I knew going into the speed, I was going to have to really bring it to beat those gals. And I don't want to say I went in defeatist, but I kind of just went in and went, you know, I have to ride this course for how it works for my horses on this day. And those were both horses that weren't particularly great at speed. You know, one was huge, so it's hard for her to go fast and tight. And the other one lacked a little confidence. So if you went too fast with him, he'd start getting worried. So I did my best with them, but I knew in my heart those girls were going to win. So (laughs) I ended up reserved to them. I was very happy to end up reserved to them. And that's a really good example of how it's not the price tag of the horse. Right. um, Or even necessarily the quality overall quality um it's it's the training and it's it's being able to do all three phases and do it really well and again those horses were ridden by trainers and they were ridden really well i was in the open division but i've oftentimes had amateurs that i've seen score higher than the open riders um we've had a strong youth um, program we really support our youth and really encouraging our youth to come and we try to you know pin the amateurs and the youth and the open riders separately, but sometimes the shows are small and they have to pin together. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's actually because the horse quality is, and also a lot of our trainers are like, for me, I always was showing clients horses. I only showed my own little quarter horse and my own Lusitano stallion a couple times. Mostly mm-hmm. I showed clients horses and that's what you see in the trainers. They're mostly developing horses. So yeah. you'll see the amateurs be very competitive in this sport. And I imagine anything, and, anything where you can, yeah, if you've, uh, if you've got a good working horse, I, right. I, that's what I love about what you've said today is I didn't realize its roots were so much in the working yeah, horse. Yeah, the actual definition of the sport is to honor the working traditions mm-hmm. of each country, mm-hmm. and, and that means the working horses. So mm-hmm. I think people, because we have dressage in the name, I think people think. Maybe, um, yeah. And it's also, it is dressage training-based because it comes from, you know, the Iberian Peninsula and the European traditions, mm-hmm. which were all with dressage tradition. Absolutely. I mean, it's all it goes classical back 400 years. Yeah. And military mm-hmm. traditions of dressage right. and how you have your horse on your aids. But, um, you know, in a working horse in America, I'm seeing the shift change more and more with, with even with the Western disciplines, realizing that dressage suppling exercises right. and gymnasticizing, you know, and connection can really help your horse. So for example, just to really broadly cover this, if you have a horse that comes in in dressage tack and you have a horse that comes in in Western tack, um, we're looking for the same things from those two horses. Okay. We want them to be connected. So we don't want tight reins or held or forced frames, but mm-hmm. we want the horses to be over their backs, mm-hmm. connected, mm-hmm. Um, keeping their poles the, mm-hmm. you know, high, p- highest point. We want the horses reaching out to the vertical. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want horses cranked in on their necks. Mm-hmm. We don't want mouth problems and gaping mouths. Um, but if you watch a quarter horse come in versus my 14 two hand cutting bread quarter horse versus my 16 one hand, um, uh, Lusitano, who's who's an APSL licensed stallion and is schooling the FEI versus uh, the Arabian, yeah. Versus, um, you know, someone coming in on a Mustang or whatever. They still they have to be active. They have to be tracking up. They have to be going through their back. They have to be steady into the contact, mm-hmm. um, and and within within their tradition. So, like with the quarter horse, um, my husband shows one handed, and I, I had a lady over here yesterday coming from the ranch horse world who's preparing for our show, and she shows one handed in Romel reins. 
And, you know, we don't want the reins tight. They can have a little bit of a drape in them for the Western horses, but the horse has to be bending Mm -hmm. and it has to be, you know, keeping, you know, can't be ducking behind the bridle Mm -hmm. and it can't have its pole between its chest uh, or, you know, lower than it's, you know, uh, basically really low um, where it's affecting the balance. You you know, it's, we want them all sort of relatively to be fulfilling the the movements and the requirements in the same way. Mm -hmm. And then knowing that they're, they're going to look different. So I have to say it's a very, as a judge, it's a very difficult sport to judge because in dressage you have one thing in western dressage you have different breeds but mm-hmm. in this you have different breeds and different disciplines so right. it is tricky to de- just kind of develop your eye a little yeah. bit um but it is really really fun to see the different people you know and it's really fun to see you know really well trained really harmonious rides on all different you know all different you horses. know you had a, a clinic a little bit of a schooling clinic here and i saw what I really love to see, which was a lot of giggles and smiles and people yeah. just enjoying learning yeah. from yeah. you, seeing it at an advanced level too, because you did have some people yeah. out there who really knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And then some people who said, don't laugh at me right. now. And, and, we, and we're, we're like, we're laughing with you. And yeah. um, one of the things that's challenging, and I think, you know, this is where uh, the trainers in, and the, the content needs to get out is, you know, a lot of people complain. I was just looking at a, a Facebook thread the other day, and you know, one of them was saying, "Well, it needs to be made easier for the lower levels, so that we don't spend all this money and go to the horse shows and DQ and go home." Oh. So, one thing I want to clarify is that at almost all of our national level rated shows, if you disqualify, you're allowed to complete your course. You've paid your money. You're on course. We want to see yeah. you compete and, and complete your course. Sure. And um, and we always tell you why you DQ, so that you learn from it. Right. And it's it's. Generally, we are, we want our judges when you disqualify to ring the bell and stop you and to come in and tell you why. Also, so that the people watching don't see you do something that's going to disqualify you and then they think it's okay. Yeah. So it kind of stops and so then it's a we, learning process. It's a learning process. Always. And then you go back out and you finish your course. That's and I fun. continue scoring people. Great. So that then they get their score sheet at the end too. That's wonderful. And so it's still very inform and informational. And we have different levels. All the levels build on each other. We've created purpose of the levels too. So it's like for on our dressage tests, it's very clear at intro. This is what we're looking for. And, you know, really briefly, I'll run over intros, our basic level level then we have novice a so we have level one is is intro level two is novice a level three is novice b level four is intermediate a level five is advanced um i'm sorry level five is intermediate b level six is advanced and then level seven is the masters and that's the international and at any level you can ride um one-handed in the lower levels underneath advanced you can ride two-handed but when you get to advanced and masters, you now have to ride one-handed. So that's another thing that sort of differentiates our sport from mm-hmm. the English. Um, because in all of the working horses tra- tra- uh, traditions, yeah. you have to be one-handed because you have to be but doing a tool, something yeah, in your with hand your other hand. Hand. Yes. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest rules that we have is that um, if you start your obstacle course and you're riding with two hands or you're riding with one hand, whichever hand, when you go to your first obstacle that requires for you to touch it, like the gate, where you, you have to latch, sure. unlatch the gate, and you, for example, you put your reins in your left hand or you're riding left-handed with your reins in your left hand, mm-hmm. and you touch the gate with your right hand and you do your gate, and then you go to do the garrocha, that which is a bull line, so you have to pick up the garrocha, spear the ring on a bull, right. 
and put the pole back in the garrocha. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes they make you do things with the garrocha before you return it, usually not at the lower levels. We, we discourage that, but at the higher levels they do. Um, let's say you went to the garrocha and you picked it up with your left hand. You're immediately disqualified for switching hands. Because you switched hands. Because you switched right. hands. So that's like one of the rules we're known for. However, let's say you're on the ease of handling course and you make a mistake and you don't complete the obstacle correctly and you leave that obstacle, you haven't switched hands or done anything to disqualify yourself, <laughs> yeah. but you leave the obstacle and you realize before you start the next obstacle that you messed it up, you can go back and redo ah, it. Okay. You'll do overs. Okay. Insufficient Shorter. mark, which is a four or four or lower is insufficient, um, but you won't disqualify yourself. Mm-hmm. So you can go on and go, oh my gosh. And fix it. Um, another rule that we have, and I don't, I don't love this. I don't do this as a trainer. Um, as a judge, I, I have no judgment on it because it's allowed. But someone from the outside can yell at you. So let's say you went to number three, which is the three barrels. They're called the three drums. And you went the wrong way around one barrel, which sometimes people do and they get lost. And they go out. And number four is the garrocha pole. Before you start that garrocha pole, Someone from the outside could go, go redo three, you know, and you'll get a 10 point penalty for oh. outside assistance, <laughs> yeah. but you won't coaching. get disqualified because it's coaching. We, you know, it is a rule. I don't know if that will change in the future, but that rule right now is allowed. It's probably a good rule. It's an, also an outside, it's same in speed. Someone can yell at you and you'll get a 10 second penalty. Mm-hmm. But at the higher levels, there's no outside assistance. I would imagine you know, at the very higher level. At the higher and, level. <laughs> and most of the time, people, because you can really mess someone up if you give them outside assistance. Oh, just, I'm beginning to see that there's an angle in strategy. Yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah, we just pretty much just, but like if your trainer yeah. is, if you place your trainer on the rail and they've just, you guys have already decided ahead of time my trainer's going to save me. Yeah. You know, that's up to them. I'm mm. just going to give them a mark. Yeah. Um, so we also have a rule for intro that they can have the course read, the test and the course read. So someone can stand on the side of your course and say, number one, bridge, number two, bull line. You know, they can't give you instructions, but they can also stand on the side and read your dressage test. A- anything after intro, you can't do that anymore. But intro is a really good division and intro is only walk trot and there's no speed phase. So it's just the dressage oh, and handling. So it's a really good beginning because yeah. you have the choice at most of the obstacles to walk or trot. Um, there's some obstacles that, um, for example, in the ease of handling, the bridge is always walking and it's mandatory. So for when I put on shows, I put big plants on the side so that it, and they're not going to want to crash through those plants. I believe me, they are, (laughs) they go on there and there's like plants, (laughs) you know, so it's kind of like they aren't going to step off of it, but you do want to make sure all the obstacles have, you know, some safety requirements and some things structuring them, but you'll see the obstacles look different, you know, at, at different shows. But one of the things I think is really fun about, I mean, at rated shows, your obstacles should, should meet a certain standard, but and the and they have to fulfill obviously the rule book specifications. But at the schooling shows, and I tell people at home, use cones, yeah. use rails, use markers. You know, do do other things that you can you know figure out that are easy to do. I have kept you a long time. Yeah. That was really, <laughs> that was really fun. Um, your website or how to get a hold of you? So the website is uh, the national website is usawe.org. So that's our national website. Um, I would you know really suggest sending people to that one for any information about working okay. equitation. If they anyone ever wants to contact me, mine is nicolechastain.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and I have Nicole Chastain Training Stables. We also have CCCWEA on Facebook. Um, it's it's um, has its own Facebook page and it's it's spelled out. It's you know um, California 
Central Coast Working Application Association. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I, I get it confused myself um, for those. And then we have different, uh, if you go on usawe.org, there's different regional pages. This thank you fun. for having us on and thank you for, you know, giving us a venue here at FLAG to, to um, continue to promote the sport in our area. Um, this will be our, we've had two clinics. We had our first clinic had 52 auditors, which yeah. was huge. Amazing. Yeah. And our last mm-hmm. clinic filled out um, in 24 hours. Yeah. And the show is looking like it's going to fill as well. Yeah. So we're really excited I'm about that. I'm so proud of you and congratulations. And Thank it's really you. fun. I can't wait to see it. Right. Thank see you. In a, see you in a, one week. Thank now. you. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Monty Roberts and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. I just love hearing the origin stories of different disciplines that I've not participated in because I think it gives you a more vested interest if you're watching it, even if you're watching it as an outsider, just as a spectator, you appreciate what it is. If you have some idea of what's happening and why it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's roots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I wanted to bring this, this uh, part one and part two of the teen pinning too, because back in, back in the old days, we had in episode 57, we had a two part on teen pinning and, sort of an evolution of ranch sorting. And um, so I thought I would just put that together in this episode and a little description for those who might not know about it, just to give you a little primer before you listen in, is team pinning and ranch sorting are sporting events that evolve. They involve the movement of cattle on horseback by rider teams. So it is Western heritage. The We heard about the working equitation has its heritage in Europe from the movement of cattle and cattle industry. But this is purely an American sport at its roots, but it's now gone all over the world. So it was created to preserve the traditional skill sets of working cow horses and their handlers and penning and sorting as well. Are um, They challenge the modern riders and the mounts to compete in a timed event to identify, move, and to pen specific cattle from a herd in a limited amount of time. So penning and sorting are timed events that involve speed, precision, and strategic planning in order to quickly and accurately cut and pin the cattle. It takes teamwork, and it's a lot of fun because of that. So our guests today are John and Georgia Weister and Monty and Pat Roberts. John Weister has lived a full life. He's not only a fine horseman, but he's an author and a rancher along with his wife, Georgia, in the San Inez Valley of California. Their ranch is located in the Santa Rita Hills Appalachian, which grows some of the finest Pinot Noir grapes in the world. John has been a professor of biology at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California, and he wrote The Genesis Connection, among other fine books that he's written as well. Monty and Pat Roberts founded Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California in 1966, so this is their 50th anniversary and golden jubilee year 
there. Uh, the rep- their reputation for raising and training world-class horses is renowned. But my, my many might not know that separating cattle uh, into pens for branding, doctoring, or transport is also something that they uh, have in their skill sets. Team pinning, a Western equestrian sport, has evolved, and we're going to hear a little bit about how they talk about uh, the roots of team pinning. So both Monty and Pat are fine horse persons, and they met John in Georgia decades ago and struck up a lifelong friendship with uh, horses and whitewater canoeing and team pinning all together. I'm so glad you all agreed to talk a little bit about team pinning because I understand that there's a whole world of information out there on team pinning. Some of it's current and some of it goes way back. And I know that some of you go way back. So I thought it'd be fun if we put a little roots in this team pinning because it has it has been a meandering discipline and it really started right here in Central California from what I can see from homework. And my little bit of research took me to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia defines team pinning as a Western equestrian sport that evolved from the common ranch work of separating cattle into pens for branding, doctoring, or transport. And I have with me two couples, and I'm going to introduce each one of them. I want you to say hi so that they know that you're out here and alive. I've got Pat Roberts with me. Hi there. I've got Georgia Weister. Greetings. And Georgia's going to tell us a little bit about, she wasn't Georgia Weister when she first found out about this team pinning thing. And I've got John Weister. Hello there. Hi. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. And we've got Monty Roberts. Present. Yes. And accounted for. Good. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the history of the sport, but I wanted to tell you all, in case you're not familiar with the current status of team pinning, that today the sport is the fastest growing Western sport in the United States, Canada, Australia, and Europe, not to mention North America. So the primary team pinning sanctioning organization in the United States today is the Team Pinning Association USTPA, headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. And there are an estimated 93 thousand active team pinners in North America alone. Wow. Is that amazing? Yeah. So we wanted to, we wanted to um, hear a little bit about the way you saw team pinning in the beginning. And let's take it back to, I don't know if this goes back as far for you, the Weisters, as it does for the Roberts, but the Roberts are familiar with the team pinning all the way back into the 40s. And I'll start with you, Dad, Monty, um, to tell us a little bit about your first memories of team pinning, please. Well, my first memories of team pinning goes back to, I'm going to say 1948. And I, I, I do have a pretty good memory, at least when it gets way back there. I can't mm. remember why I came in this room, but right. uh, <laughs> way back there I can remember. And I think it's about 1948. And they had some funny little things at the county fair and the, and the county shows and stuff. And there were no rules. That is to say, each time you went to one of these things, there was a different set of rules. <laughs> and um, a different pin to put them in and a different gate to go through and a different number of cattle. And they put the numbers on in different ways. And there was um, a lot of uh, conversation. <laughs> There was a lot of bluster, yeah, <laughs> and um, eh, there was a lot of fun. Everybody had fun with the team pinning, 
And I, I recall in about 1949, uh, Santa Maria at the fair uh, had the team pinning. I said at the fair, but actually I think it was a connection with the Elks Rodeo in uh, Santa Maria. And um, they, after the first night, they had three nights, and after the first night, they put it the last event because it was so chaotic, you know. You never knew what was going to happen. And uh, sometimes you took one cow out of uh, ten and put it in a, a, through a gate, Sometimes two and sometimes three, and, um, and I, I'm amazed at this ninety-three thousand people. I mean, we didn't have ninety-three people when I first saw it, and everybody thought they were the best team pinner in the world because, in fact, they might be on the day because <laughs> anything could happen in the team pinning, and um, you had the uh, inconsistencies of cattle, horses, and people. And when you put all that together, you're going to get some funny things happening, that's for sure. And um, now it seems to me you've gone back and done your homework, and um, uh, Ray and Joe Yanis uh, from down in Ventura area, uh, they, they are claiming to be the first ones to ever organize a competition in Ventura, in Ventura County Fair. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that could have been, they're saying it was probably 49 or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying it was probably 48 or 47. Mm-hmm. And I have a reason for saying that because I know when I went, when I started high school and, and uh, it was the first time I really went to school and, and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, Joe and Ray Yanis were top notch Horse people, cowboys, yeah, and um, they they organized whatever the heck they organized called team pinning, and I don't know whether they had one to bring out or two or three or whatever, and the gate they went in and all of that, but um, later it came to Santa Maria, and there was a, a, quite a push for this with the New Hall Land and Farm Company. Yeah, Newhall Land and Farm Company was based in Saugus, Newhall area down there. And the Yenises worked there quite a bit, and I worked there uh, with Ralph Carter and, and uh, Vivian Carter way back. And um, they, we gathered cattle there in those pens near Newhall, which is now something Seven Flags uh, Amusement Park or something yeah, right, like that. Right. Well, we, we had little contests there in the day uh, 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 with this team penning thing, trying to see if there was a way to, you know, constitute a, a, a proper uh, contest of it all. And I suppose the Yanis brothers then took it up to the Ventura County Fair and they actually had the first organized competition. Maybe, maybe that's true. But there was a little guy that bounced around. You call him a day hand, I guess. He went. He was with New Holland Farm Company, and he went up and worked at the Sway Ranch part of the time, and so forth. A little bitty guy, and he had a squeaky little voice, and uh, he reckoned that he was everything to Team Pin. This guy, and I recall being at Santa Maria, and I'm in the Team Pinning, and there were I think ten of us and ten cows. 
<laughs> and they put one number on each cow. And they painted the numbers on the side with a spray can. I think it was a spray can. Maybe it was a paintbrush. I, I don't know. But there were numbers on their sides. <laughs> but as they put them out in the arena, and they got down in the corner and milled around with one another and stuff, this poor little guy that was the squeaky voice, he was about maybe number eight out of ten. And when he got in there, these cattle had brushed up against one another enough. <laughs> they couldn't see the number. You couldn't see the numbers. <laughs> no. And he was running around the arena yelling, Sabotage! Sabotage! There's no number seven! There's no number seven! And uh, they had to stop the whole thing. And he insisted that the whole thing be done over again because the other guys had a, a free run yeah. advantage. So that's the way team pinning began. In your memory. That's, my, that's how far back memory. you were. Yeah, right. and then to bring you full circle with it, and then I'll turn everybody else loose, but um, it seems to me that right after I had a huge problem here uh, at Flag Is Up Farms, Pat and I came back here to Flag Is Up in 1972. Oh. And right after coming back here in 72... It seems to me, if my mind uh, works properly, that there were two people who were more cerebral about this uh, business than I ever was, but we have a beautiful covered arena here. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I had cattle here yes. for the cutting horses, and we started fooling around down here in this covered arena, and we made a little pen out of some portable panels or something. And John Weister and Jack Algio, yeah, yeah. They, they were my brain trust. Yeah. And they, they would come over. Well, uh, Algio had cattle here in my, I had a 1600 head feedlot oh, here. Yes. And Algio was doing all of his uh, nutritional experiments mm. here. And so that pushed you over here, John Weister, uh, to bring your horse and come over here, and we would get in there and fiddle around. And you two brought to me, as I remember it, you two brought to me the idea that we should make some rules. Right. And that those rules should be relatively consistent so that you and could uniform. Take, yeah, yeah so uniform. that you could take it from town to town. Right. And kind of know what you were going to do when you got there. <laughs> right. uh, because the rest of it was utterly chaotic. Well, that seemed to me to be fair. And I had stopped my competitive life in, in, the, in the show ring in 1970, uh, 1968 or 69. So I was ready to just have fun. Right. And I had some horses that would look at a cow and, and do some things. So that was good. And you guys started, as I remember it, Aljo and Weister really started drawing on paper and doing things and coming up with ideas, you know, the 30 head, 3 head per team, 3 people on the team. Crossing the line. Crossing, the, the well, I think line. the line came later. There we go, okay. Because I think we blew it a bunch of times <laughs> and had the herd going everywhere. Yeah, and okay. then there, you or... or where, do you, where do you put the team, where do you put the pen? Do you have it up next to the rail? Where do you put the pen next the to the rail? How many feet off? off? Yeah, right. and all, all that stuff was evolving. Mm -hmm. Yeah? 
And along comes a great big blustery guy with a bigger belly than uh, he should have had to be riding a horse called um, uh, Vince Evans. And Vince Evans owned Pea Soup Anderson's. And he sat down here in my covered arena and laughed his big old belly off. <laughs> he did. He, he just roared with the fun of it all. And he said, you know what we ought to do? If you want to get this thing known, you want people talking about it, you want it to come to the front and actually be a contest, we should start out by having a world championship team pick. Well, now, wait a minute. We, we didn't even have, you know, a pot or a window. Uh, we, 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 a world championship team penny. Yeah, well, Vince thought that way, didn't he? He did. He did. Big thinker. Yeah, big thinker. And he put up the money, too. And he yeah, put up the money got. to you make need, it You need those guys. Yeah, right. you need those. yeah and so then uh, Bacon went to somebody. John Bacon up here went to somebody about the San Marcos camp. Oh yeah, yeah. and and just we decided that San Marcos camp would be a great spot, which it was. Yeah, because they could camp out. Camp out. Yeah, they could camp out. They didn't bother anybody. <laughs> you could run the cattle trucks in there and out of there and everything. It was fantastic. It's about fifteen miles, twenty miles to the east of, of San Inez there, Solvang, and. Um, it's in a very, very rural setting with a good arena. Oh, great arena. You know, and everything was there. And so we had the first world championship team pinning. I'm going to say it was 1975. And uh, we had probably, oh, I don't know, Gene Rambo was, was in there. Well, guys came all the way from Wyoming. Yeah. We had, that. We had yeah. maybe 30, 40 teams, which, which <laughs> is 100 riders, roughly. Um, a hundred riders in the thing. We had a Calcutta pool. <laughs> Big yeah. Calcutta pool. Yeah, that we that we did. And we had the first world championship team pinning. I remember so clearly that I got the FFA, uh -huh. Future Farmers of America, to make tri-tip sandwiches uh, to sell there to benefit the FFA. You're right, right. And some guy came along that was considered himself a team pinner. There were no team pinners yet, but he, he was an important guy to himself anyway. And they, they, he asked how much those sandwiches were. And those kids said they're $3. And he said, I wasn't looking to buy a cow. $3 for a sandwich? Well, you know, he got really angry. And he, he wanted to take us to court and stuff for charging $3 for a tri beautiful barbecue tri-tip sandwich. And it, it really turned me off. Uh, I thought, you know, here we are out here having fun, and somebody's complaining about buying a sandwich. But anyway, those are the kind of memories that come back. We had uh, live music. We had a dance. We had a big dance afterwards. Yeah. Sure. Sure, and sure. Um, it's the only way to keep the women around, apparently. Well, back then. <laughs> no, we were competing. We were oh, there yeah. you go, George. Yeah. We were okay. competing too. Good. Oh yeah. Good. Oh yeah. Um, in fact, um, the Davis boys, with their wife, Jen and Gary and Bobby Kay. Bobby Kay Davis. Oh yeah. She was a tough team pinner right Ooh. from the first year we had it, and I know that I bought Gene Rambo in the uh, Calcutta. And uh, 
He didn't win anything. <laughs> he was my hero. I, I, I can remember one of the funniest things from that thing was two guys got in a fight over a woman. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, I think it was you, Marty. <laughs> Put him in the arena, we'll call a cut at him. Well, that's, that's kind of the end of me because uh, somehow they made me president of it for a while and I, and I was trying to help make things happen. But the real shakers and movers in this uh, were Aljo Weister and uh, Vince Evans. And I, I, yeah, we started in my covered arena, and we, we, we did the thing, and I helped uh, what I could, but, um, but really, those were the brain. That was the brain trust mm -hmm. that started the team penning, and then we had people that had different ideas about it, and they broke off and made other uh, uh, organizations and stuff. And um, the last thing I have to say on it is that uh, some. 30 years later or 40 years later I was doing uh, one of my shows in near Rome in Italy and it was at a big fairgrounds there and the fairgrounds had various events going on on the weekend and I noticed there's a bunch of horses all tied down the fence over there with western saddles on and the people riding around uh, looking like they were from Elko, Nevada you know, and so I walked down there thinking, uh, I got to find out what's going on here. <laughs> wow. And so I went up to some young lady who was riding by on her horse and I said, what's happening here? And she said, oh, it's the uh, Italian National Team Penning Championship. <laughs> Whoa, you are kidding. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? Where did you hear about Italian team penning? Italian National Team Penning Championship? Yeah. I said, where do you hear about team penning? <laughs> oh, oh she said, we've been team penning here now for five years or whatever it was, oh, something like that, you know. And I said, well, for crying out loud, whoever dreamed up this thing, <laughs> team penning? <laughs> oh, she said, it came from the American Quarter Horse Association. I said, really? <laughs> she said, yes. And I said, will you tell, if you, the, is the president of your organization here? She said, yes. You tell him to come and talk to me, because he needs some information. So the president and I got to know one another, and I explained to him some of the early days of the team penning. And what happened was that the American Quarter Horse Association, um, in the early 80s, they were looking for an event, possibly ah, for their... For their quarter horses. Yeah. Sure. And uh, somebody was there from Italy when they were testing out some of these things in the quarter horse shows, oh took the idea back to Italy, took the rules, oh, your rules. Oh, God. <laughs> who, yeah. who, 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 who was the brain trust? Did you come up with more rules than Aljo, or did Aljo come up with oh, more rules? That's hard to say. Yeah. That's hard to say. But you two were the ones really yeah. coming up with the rules. That's right, because we, we had to make them uniform. It was crazy yeah. the way it was. And you mentioned earlier this line across the middle of the arena. Well, the foul line. Yeah, yeah? the foul line. Mm -hmm. Well, and the start those, line too. And that's the start the time, line. That's when the time started too. Yeah. And you had to decide how many cows would be allowed to go over it before you eliminated the Right. I think we might have started out with two and then pulled it back to one. But you, you see, before we had the foul line, we had some contests and we had the herd all over the yep. county. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. 
So those things evolved as we went along, um, and of course then one-on-one happened, and, and, and now when you look back at it, I mean... Cattle rustlers were the first team pinners, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you have camp drafting in Australia, Ooh. which is very similar, but it, you have to take one cow and put it through a course. Oh, my you know, goodness, Like yeah. the sheepdog would yeah, tend like to do. do. Yeah, and then uh, there's, there's forms of this kind of thing all over the world. Well, I can't, I can't wait to hear the rest of the story. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to pop part two of that little chat into the next episode, a number 230, which will go out in the middle of May. That's right. So you can learn about that. And I did try team sorting one time at a very much local practice level with some friends. Yeah. Yeah. It was more fun than you should be allowed to have without alcohol. <laughs> it was so fun. English Giggling. tag, the whole thing. Nobody cared. We had a English tag. I love you. Nobody cared. <laughs> The cows don't care what, to, what your tackle nope. looks like. <laughs> nope. They focus on the end of that horse's nose. Is That's right. They do. So that was a lot of fun. So tune in next month, next uh, on the 15th of, of May for the next one. And now I think it's time for our training tip. This is a Choco Block episode right here. Mm-hmm. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than the magic in the language of Dear Monty, I have a horse that is one-sided. He is perfectly fine to handle on one side, but I can do nothing with him on the other. What do I do? Monty's answer. This one-sidedness can result from either of two opposite causes. It could be that the horse has been handled virtually entirely on the good side, ignoring the opposite side, or it could be that the horse has been abused on the bad side. No matter which is the case, the process to correct it is virtually the same. I suggest that you do use join-up. I recommend three or four sessions on consecutive days or until your horse is relaxed, following you and perfectly comfortable being with you. Having accomplished a good join-up or even two, I would add to that two or three sessions with the dually halter. I would then begin to work on the bad side with an artificial arm. The artificial arm will allow you to work effectively with your adrenaline down. Gradually gain the trust of your horse and this problem will go away. I make an artificial arm often using a hard wood cane with the figure seven variety. That means that there is almost no crook in the handle. I wrap it in a sponge and tape the sponge in place and with the whole cane covered in sponge, a glove can be placed over the figure seven. You can stuff the glove with bits of cloth to fill it out and make it hand-like. The top of the seven goes in the thumb, making the finger soft and the thumb stiff. Having taped the glove in place, I recommend that one put a sleeve from an old sweatshirt or some such piece of clothing over the handle of the cane. Most canes are a bit short, so I extend them by tightly wiring on a couple of feet of discarded wooden rake handle. This instrument will enable you to keep out of the danger zone while working to rub, scratch, or even lift a hind leg using the figure seven cane, allowing you to relax in the certain knowledge that you are safe. 
Once the horse allows the artificial arm to rub him all over on the bad side, then the handler can add to the degree of difficulty. A tiny little plastic bag will seem like a lethal weapon to a horse such as you have described. A good job of working with this small plastic bag will soon set up your horse so that you can have half a dozen big plastic bags on the artificial arm and rub him generously with them. All the time this work is being done, a good horse person will be thinking of encouraging the horse to understand that this side of his body can be touched without force or pain. If his fear is simply inherent and the re- not the result of harsh treatment, the system I have outlined here will be just as effective. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in May of 2023 as we speak. 1 through 13 is the introductory course of horsemanship, and we also take also take people in module form. So May 1 through 3 is the introductory course, module 1. That's first steps to Monty's methods, a lot of groundwork. Then 4 through 6 is model two, module 2, um, which is the join-ups. So now we get you more active even. And then 8 through 10 is the introductory course, module 3, which is longlining. Now you're skilled. So we, we graduate you up each one. And then 11 through 13 for those who have taken those three modules ahead of that, will go into preparation for the intro exams, 11 through 13. So on the 19th, we have a Horsemanship 101, and that one is getting full. So hurry up if you want to get in on that one, because we've got some really cool gals coming in from New York (laughs) for that one. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Horsemanship is a one-day event, and it's really fun. And then on the 20th, we have a Mountain Trail Play Day. You know that one. That's where everybody gets to trailer in and get to uh, play on our Mark Bolander Mountain Trail. And then in June, long-term planners, we have five through nine, a gentling wild horse course. Oh, and we have some beauties for you guys, some Gruya little Mustang fillies that are just adorable, June five through nine. And then on June 10, we have our Mountain Trail Play Day. And then June 16 through 18 is what? It's the movement. And Jen, we haven't even talked much about that, but um, you will have now tagged with Glenn and Glenn's going to come for the movement this year, 16 through 18. Yeah. And we have, we are so pleased to have Jared Rogerson coming in. We have Will Friday from uh, Masterson Method coming in. We have Jamie Jennings, ASPACA Trainer of the Year and Right Horse. Um, We have some just genius, brilliant. We have Manjeev Chaudhary coming in from India. I'll have to talk to you later about that one too. Our certified instructor, amazing man, very zen. He's a really cool guy. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I, I got to thank Ch- Jay Michelson from Hands On Gloves too for um, doing so much for us, not only for the podcast, but for events like the movement too. He's just a cool guy and a really cool product that we all use. So, And we've got maybe a mini involved in this named Poppy could be making appearances. <laughs> She's shedding out right now. She'll be a great uh, example. (laughs) And then uh, July, if we're not exhausted, we're going to do July. And in July 8th, we're going to have the Mountain Trail Play Day. And 10 through 14 is Monty's special training. So we we do those because we also have so many horses that want to come here and get um, either trained, started, or fixed. 
by Monty. <laughs> I don't mean medically. May as well invite everybody <laughs> in to, to watch the fun. We do, and we film it all too. So it goes up on the online university, which is a part of the reason we have the podcast. So go to MontyRobertsUniversity.com and you can see what a Monty special training kind of looks like, actually. And then come on the 10th through the 14th of July. And then on the 15th, we have another Horsemanship 101. That's like the girlfriend's weekend, mother-daughter, father-daughter kind of day here. And you just get a primer of all the fun things we do and join up and, and working with horses from the ground. And then Thursday. 31st of July through August 4th is a Gentling Wild Horse Course. And we're getting those from a place called Return to Freedom. And Netta Namayo has been uh, working with wild horses for ugh, generations, I think. And um, so we, we, we're really privileged to work with them and honored to be able to gentle some of those wild horses. Yahoo! And you can find all of that and more. There's one place where you can find everything Monty Roberts, everything join up. Everything, the movement. Just go to MontyRoberts.com. And from there, you're going to find everything else you need to have. If you're not big on computers, you just give them a call on the phone, 805-688-6288. And by the way, if you can't remember that phone number, go to MontyRoberts.com. And 805-688-6288 will be found there. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com or MontyRoberts.com. The podcasts are also there for today's links to guests and topics. And we love your feedback. If you would like to follow Monty Roberts on social, on Facebook, it's Monty Roberts, the one with the little blue check mark. And on Twitter, as well as Instagram, it's Monty underscore Robert. That's a great place to interact with Debbie and everybody in the big team there at MontyRoberts.com. Thanks. Yeah. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. That's who makes it happen. That's handsongloves.com and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. And be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. Uh-huh.